Hello, you're listening to KPMG's Private Client Insight Series, where we examine topical issues related to wealth management and family matters. I'm Vincent Wall, and in just a moment, I'll be joined by KPMG partner Camilla Cullinan to tease out some of the key issues relating to succession planning for families and family businesses. But first, I'm joined by Liam Lynch, head of KPMG's private client practice. Liam, what are the key issues we're going to be discussing in this series about wealth management? And what expertise do you believe KPMG brings to this topic? Thank you, Vincent. Um, I'd like to start by welcoming everyone to our podcast series, which we hope you'll find interesting and enlightening in relation to the private client matters that we're covering. Why are we covering this at this time? This is probably the first time in Irish history where there has been the potential for a mass transfer of wealth from one generation to the next. This is an important time in Irish history and for Irish families from that point of view. There's a lot that goes on in Irish families, in all families, through births, deaths, marriages, whatever. And we're here in KPMG to help you through those and through the financial elements of those. Throughout our podcast series, we're going to cover the four major areas as we would see them that families are interested in. First one, quite simply, family, looking after your family, keeping them safe, keeping them protected. Secondly, international matters, because we know that all Irish families are global, they're all mobile, and and you more so than most. And what happens internationally does matter. Thirdly, privacy and privacy matters. That, and it matters to families in protecting your family. And we see all of the cyber issues and cyber attacks and that that go out there. We see everything that happens in global media. We know that you're interested in that and protecting your family. And finally, making an impact. That impact um, of looking forward, what legacy are you leaving for generations to come? And that's important to you, and we know that's important to your families. And you believe because of your scale and expertise, KPMG can bring a lot of a lot of benefit to families in this area. Absolutely. I lead the largest and most diverse team of tax and other specialists helping private clients in this area in the entire Irish market. And any of my colleagues would be happy to talk with any of you if you want to follow up on any of the issues raised in this podcast series or have a discussion with any of us individually. So I hope you enjoy this and thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Liam. We're definitely looking forward to this series over the coming weeks. We're joined now by Camilla Cullinan, partner with KPMG Private Enterprise, specialising in family business. Camilla, lovely to talk to you. Hi, Vincent. Lovely to be here. Now, um, this whole issue of succession planning, why is it so important and in what way does it differ, Camilla, from simply making a will? Well, Vincent, succession planning is basically all the thinking and planning that is put in place before you put pen to paper to make a will. So it's deciding on where your assets should go um, in the event of your death. But it's not just on death. Many people decide to transfer wealth during their lifetime. And why is this so important? Why, why should people give this some consideration at all? Um, because if you don't give a consideration, it could end up being very costly and just give rise to a myriad of issues. For example, if you die without having made a will, your assets will get divided between your spouse and your children, two thirds to your spouse, one third to your children. And that could lead to a whole host of issues. Assets could end up being left to people that you had never intended them being left to. Now, 
in, in our conversation, we're going to be talking, I suppose, interchangeably about both family wealth, personal family wealth that's accumulated, and family businesses as well. And, and sometimes there are different considerations mm-hmm. uh, involved in, in, in thinking about passing on both. What are the key considerations involved when either a, a family or a family leader sits down to, to think about succession planning? I presume timing is the first one. At what at what stage should people start thinking about this? Yeah, so timing is a huge concern and age definitely comes into it. You know, we sometimes see people thinking about succession planning coming close to retirement, but in reality, it's better to have thought about it far in advance. Um, the age of the recipients come into account. You know, if your children are quite young, then you might say, well, this is, this is far too early. But it's all we'd always recommend that you have even a simple plan in place from day one, be that to pass everything to your spouse, should something happen to you, that would avoid a whole host host of complex issues. Um, Often there is a trigger event when people start thinking about succession planning, be that ill health or, you know, at the moment, COVID has been a huge trigger Mm. and we've seen a big take up in people thinking about succession planning, understandably, given the uncertainty that surrounds us all now, people have started to think about the future. Now, we're assuming, let's say in the case of family business or indeed personal wealth, that we are thinking about either a spouse or or children. Of course, there may be different beneficiaries depending on people's circumstances. But let's take it that there are children uh, and and they're beginning to get older and they have different personality traits and whatever. Does that have to come into account, do you think, in terms of of the planning process? What skills, what interests those children are likely to have? Absolutely, because you may have children that from the moment they were born absolutely wanted to be involved in the family business and it's been very apparent. You may have other children who had zero interest and we'd often find families where children would go off and do their own thing and work in you know other industries, go abroad for a while, but in their heart they always want to come back home to work in the business. So you have to take all of that into account when it comes to succession planning and timing of it as well. Um, and you'll, you'll often find family leaders encourage their children to go off and do other things. So absolutely the interests of the children and you know that ties into then if somebody isn't interested in the business do they get a share in the business? Um, is it fair on the person who works in the business? Perhaps all the wealth is tied up within the business so therefore you know all the succession planning is relating you know majority of it relates to the business. And even allowing for the fact that some children may be more interested in the business, uh, at least show more interest in the business at a certain stage, you have to allow for the fact that people have different abilities, human nature. So uh, the whole question of equity and fairness while also considering the future of the business must come into account. Absolutely. It's, It's huge. And we often talk about family governance structures when we speak about family businesses. And that's really how do the family and the business interact and how do family owners interact with the business. So that can cover a whole host of issues. You know, what's important to the family? Um, Do owners have to work in the business? You know, is the business really to provide dividends to the family or is it for a longer term succession, you know, a a longer term thing for the family to carry on? So there's a whole host of issues um, and comes into that. How does the family want the business to operate? How do they want to operate the business? How do they want to control it? And oftentimes we'll see that they would families like to put formal structures around that, um, be it um, a family constitution. And that can often help with decision making. Um, and what we see as well, it's very important that that happens when there's not a critical decision that has to be made. So you can work through all the ins and outs, the pros and cons when there's no pressure on the family. And then when it comes, if there's an unexpected emergency or a decision has to be made, the structure is there to, to help the families 
to help families make that decision? I suppose at this initial stage of, 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 of planning and why you would do it, Camilla, as well, you need to build in flexibility so that if circumstances change or indeed your own thought processes about the business change, that whatever plans you, you, you put down and communicate are flexible and, and are subject to change. A hundred percent. And we would recommend that people review this periodically anyway. But absolutely, circumstances change all the time. You know, for example, second families. Marriages unfortunately break up. People get married again and they might have a second family that might be much younger than their first family. Yet, everybody needs to be cared for and thought about. So that flexibility, willingness to change and taking in different scenarios all, all have to be taken into account. Now, once the fundamentals have been have been considered and, and a plan is put in place, what else needs to be uh, put into the mix? I presume the whole issue of tax, you referenced it there a little bit briefly. Yeah, so tax is huge when it comes to succession planning. Um, obviously, people want to protect their assets as much as they can and pay as little tax as they can when it comes to succession planning. So there's two main taxes that you need to consider. One being capital gains tax on giving your assets away. So for people in business, there's a relief from capital gains tax called retirement relief. That relief can, is maximised in giving assets to your children before you reach 66. So that's really quite young, but yet it has to be considered at mm. that young age. Um, and you have to take it into account, but at the same time, you don't want tax to be the tail that's wagging the dog. You know, you have to take into account what is right for a whole host of other commercial and personal reasons, but being mindful of the tax benefits that might be there to passing it on earlier in life. Um, you know, the other thing is there's no capital gains tax on death. So maybe people just hold on to their assets on death and provide for it in their will. So there's there's a real balance there between, you know, wanting to get the younger generation interested and involved and pass wealth down to them. And, you know, that's why the government bought in this um, relief. And that's why they said, look, we want to encourage younger transfers of wealth and transfers of business to the next generation at an earlier age. And that's why they encourage it before 66. But, you know, that mightn't be um, suitable for everybody. Um, and then on the other side, on the beneficiary side, there's capital acquisitions tax, which is a gift tax or inheritance tax. Again, there are reliefs for passing on businesses, um, a whole host of conditions that you have to meet. So it's very important to work down through those and make sure that you meet those conditions. Um, you know, the reliefs are quite generous right now. Who knows what they'll be in 10 years time, for example. So there's all that type of timing issues and complexity to take into account. And just on the on the r retirement relief, does a person commit at that stage then to actually retiring and leaving the business at age 66? Absolutely not. I remember <laughs> I had a lady in with me recently and she said to me, um, but do I need to retire? And I said, absolutely not. I said, you don't need to retire at all. And like most people, her business was like another baby and she was so delighted that she didn't have to, you know, hang up the apron and leave it behind. She was thrilled. No, you don't have to retire at all. It's the name of the relief, but no requirement to retire. OK, good to clarify that. Let's assume that it's a, it's a, it's a business, a trading business that uh, is, is the principal asset that's going to be passed on. What sort of, of issues arise over time, even after a succession plan has been put in place and, and all the issues that we've been considering there? The the owner of the business or, or a family, a, a husband and wife, let's say, as time moves on, they really do have to try and consider how the business can be protected as well, as well as the interests of the beneficiaries, probably children. Um, what are the issues that, that arise there? Absolutely. So 
oftentimes there's a tax liability associated with passing on a business. And how do you fund that tax liability? You know, for many, a lot of their wealth would be tied up within the business. So how do you access you know, so the funds that might be in that business to pay the tax liability? Um, can the business survive if you were to take, say, for example, excess cash out of the business? Was that required for working capital? Now you need it to pay a tax liability. So there's... And you, you want to protect the business as well. You don't want a tax liability to you know, damage the viability of the business going forward. So should businesses as part of their overall planning be considering perhaps putting a reserve aside to meet likely tax liabilities or is that is that too far in advance of the planning? Yeah, I suppose it's really a liability of the shareholders as opposed to a liability of the business. Um, but it is very important for the shareholders to consider, well, how are we going to fund this? You know, should we be taking more dividends out of the company? How do we extract funds from the business? Or is there other wealth elsewhere that we will need to tap into to fund the liabilities associated with passing on the business? Assuming there are a number of children, and as you say, the possibility of children across two or three different relationships, perhaps, assuming there are a number of children with different interests or different abilities, what options are out there for uh, a family leader or a family uh, to to compensate adequately the children who are not going to be actively taking on the business? Yeah, so we've seen a variety of different um, options taken by, by family leaders. So there may have assets other than the business. So, you know, family home, other wealth built up, you know, pensions. So they might decide, well, that goes to the people who aren't in the business and the business then goes to the people who are working in the business. Um, on the complete flip side of that, you might have somebody who wants all of their children to have a share in the business, regardless of whether they work in it or not. And you might find a situation where the person that works in the business have a, has a higher percentage shareholding or maybe has a controlling share um, vote in the business, whereas the other children might, you know, have rights to dividends or, you know, have a shareholding in the business, but they mightn't have as much of a say as, say, the person who works in the business full time. And are there other softer ways that might be considered as well? Perhaps, you know, that with the agreement of all concerned that, you know, certain expenses are looked after for some children like weddings or education or whatever, uh, whereas they're not for those who are going to inherit the business. Absolutely. It's back to the, the diary, really, isn't it? <laughs> um, so absolutely, you know, you might have people who there say, well, I'm going to buy them all a really nice house. Um, issues we've seen that with that is that sometimes you need to take money from the business to mm. buy that house. So that needs to be managed very, very carefully. We've talked about uh, best practice governance and, 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 and perhaps having a family constitution in place or some sort of, of document, anyway, a, fra a framework from which uh, decisions down the line can be made. Is there any hard and fast rule as to when and how fully plans should be communicated to the likely beneficiaries or is that very much dependent on circumstances? Yeah, there, there's unfortunately no one size fits all. Every family is different. So what will work for one family might not work for another. So, you know, there is no best practice when it comes to these things. It's very much family dependent. Um, so and it depends on the age of the children as well, of course, if your children are quite young, sitting down to talk to them about a family constitution and governance, it, it may not um, have any benefits. Whereas as children get a bit older and they're more involved in the business, they will want to talk about this and they'll want to be involved in in developing the constitution and developing the governance framework that will cover the interaction of the family and the business. 
And of course, there's always the position where, you know, a, a family, one, one, one spouse dies younger, you know, generally that happens, one yeah. spouse dies younger than the other. The interests of the remaining spouse may not always be fully aligned with, with, uh, with the children. Absolutely. Um, and often we'd see people when they come to succession planning, they will quite simply just leave everything to their spouse and their spouse will leave everything to them. It just ensures there's no tax issues. Um, if you don't do that, you could be walking yourself into a whole host of issues. And people might start off with succession planning quite simply doing that. And then it you know, moves on and becomes more, you can build on that and it becomes more complicated. Um, and often spouses will sit down together and do their wills together where they will pass everything to each other and then decide you know, how everything will be split. But that's not to say when the first spouse passes away that the second spouse can come along and change it. Absolutely within their full legal rights to do so. It's a complicated world. Yeah. What about foreign investments? Uh, Liam mentioned it there in, in our chat at the, at the top. Presumably, I presume, with, with different tax rules in different jurisdictions, that adds to the complexity if, if, if some assets are overseas. Absolutely. So for Irish resident people, you know, you have your Irish... Um, rules and tax rules to consider um, but also you need to consider your foreign properties so they will come into y- your Irish tax planning as well but you'll also have to consider local laws so for example for foreign investments take for example your holiday home in Spain or in um, France you may have to consider is there, lo- is there forced airship rules in those countries um, you Explain know, that So are you forced to legally provide for your children? So do you have to give it to your children or do you have to give it to your spouse? So you just need to be, there might be things that you want to do with it that you can't, for example. And in some jurisdictions that is the case? In Europe, yeah, absolutely. Um, And then you also have to consider inheritance tax laws in those countries. So just because you pay tax in Ireland doesn't mean that you don't pay tax anywhere else. Um, Inheritance tax rates can be quite high. For example, in France, they go up to nearly 45%. So if you have a holiday home in France, that's half the value of your holiday home gone in tax. Um, So you have to take all of those into account and you really need specialist local advice um, and then the interaction of the foreign laws and the Irish laws and taxes need to be considered as well. Now, I know KPMG doesn't provide investment advice in terms of how assets might be deployed, but it sounds like, from what you're saying to me, that it would be advisable for somebody, both in the planning stage and as as things pan out, to get professional advice. What what do you think the benefits, say, the likes of a firm like KPMG and, and yourself can bring? Yeah, so often it's a trusted advisor role. So it's somebody that listens and is an independent sounding board, first and foremost. Um, you know, there's not family politics in play, you know, completely independent. Uh, and it also allows you to put a process in place and have assistance throughout that process as you work through and you try to figure out where do assets rightfully sit. And um, it allows you to put a structure in place around that. And I suppose um, a firm as big as KPMG with international connections, if there are overseas tax issues to be considered, that advice is easily accessible. Absolutely. And we would manage all of that ourselves. So we would, you know, reach out to our colleagues, for example, KPMG France or KPMG Spain or the US, wherever it may be, and we would get their input into it. And then we would, you know, put all that together, see how that all interacts and, you know, come to our client with the solution with all angles covered. We're coming to the end of our, our, our chat what parting advice, uh, Camilla, would you offer to people who haven't even begun to consider some of the issues that we uh, have been discussing today and who may have significant assets and, and quite a number of people uh, looking to inherit those assets? What parting advice would you have for them? It's better late than ever. Um, it's going to save a whole lot of heartache and time and expense in the long run. Um, and it's something that really should be considered um, sooner rather than later. And I would leave nothing to chance.
So pick up the phone and phone KPMG. Anytime. <laughs> Camilla Cullinan, lovely to talk to you. Thanks, Vincent. Well, thanks, Camilla, for sharing those insights with us. Very informative. Now, please join us for the other discussions in the series covering privacy, international matters and legacy considerations. But for now, from me, Vincent Wall, thanks for joining us. <laughs>